verses 1 to 5 and 14 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of the grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from John 19, starting at verse 25. That's on page 1088. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. 
the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture will be, would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. you are able, would you please stand to say the words of the creed. Together we say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father. Gotten not from all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe in one Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please take a seat, and Sue will come and uh, speak to us. Good morning, and thank you especially to Geraldine for um, that amazing reading. It was lovely to see... Whoops. It was lovely to see Moses, <laughs> and I also noticed it looked like Grace looked like this. Is that right? Okay, it looks like something's full anyway. It looked like that to me. Um, so, Jesus is the subject. 
Um, so, put your feet up, because I'm going to be about three hours. <laughs> no. Um, holidays are here. About lunchtime yesterday, I suddenly realized, me the teacher, I am on holiday. Yes, for a week. How exciting. Yes. And uh, school has been exceedingly busy this last term. Um, as I'm sure it has for all the other teachers here, including Margaret, all those sats and things, all the grammar that we've had to wrestle with this year for the first time with new words for different parts of speech. And uh, we're looking forward to term six where we've got reports to write. So, very busy. At our school, we've also been looking a lot, as a lot of teachers have across the country, at something called attachment theory, which looks at how we become secure in ourselves um, from the moment that we're born. And it, it's, would appear to, it appears to me, and it appears to us at school, that this is something hugely significant and hugely important in our understanding of um, child development and how a child grows up to feel secure in themselves um, and safe in the world. I think I'll stand here. Is this working? It's working fine. So, um, the attachment theory rests on the premise that from birth, a baby has to have very close links good eye contact, skin-to-skin -skin contact with mum and dad and the, or the people who care for that child, that they always feel secure, that they know that they're loved, that they see that and that they feel it and that they sense it. And we know that um, babies, for example, if they're allowed to, to lie on, on their mum's skin, their heartbeats will actually start to sync with their mother's, which is amazing. And we know that um, babies that are born prematurely have a much better survival rate if they're allowed to lie on their mum skin to skin. It's amazing. But this goes on, so through from 0 to 1, 1 to 2, and so on, it continues. And so parenting actually becomes quite a key um, element of a child's development. I know we already knew that, but how it happens is important. And of course, they don't come to school until they're three or four, by which time a lot has already happened. Um, but, and we're left to both love and teach these children. And the reason that attachment comes in, that whatever background you're from, um, a child can be spoiled, if you like, by not receiving the full emotional warmth that a child needs. And for every one of us here, that is probably also true, that there were little gaps for us when we were um, brought into the world and brought up. And you may know what those gaps are, and you may not. But I'm fairly sure that every single one of us, we have had things that have happened to us and things that haven't happened to us that has perhaps left us feeling a little bit lacking in our sense of... Um, self-esteem and our understanding. We, we perhaps don't all have this, the healthy self-concept that we could have. So back at school, part of our job is to teach and to teach the grammar and all the rest of it, but it's also 
to put in strong boundaries and to help to support children so that they feel secure and that they feel safe. And some children will say, if you ask them, you know, who loves you, they'll cite people at home, but they will cite their teacher as well. And sometimes they'll cite their head teacher too, but not always. <coughs> So we've been talking a lot about that at school, and Reece, uh, my deputy, Tam, has a little baby, so we're very interested in watching this child develop now that we know about attachment theory. So as I probably misapplied it entirely to my own children, but we're hoping for the perfect baby now, you see, because we know all these things. Anyway, she observed recently that she and her husband were reading to little boy, um, who's about one, and... Uh, her husband leant forward, because he hadn't seen his wife for a while, I suppose, and just touched her on the cheek like that. Just, you know, just a kind thing to do, just like that. And they carried on reading the story. And all of a sudden, little boy reached over and did the same thing to his mum, like that. Like that. And Tam, my deputy, noticed that this child had completely copied what his dad had done. Do you see? So he's very tiny, he doesn't really know about love, he doesn't know about these things, but he had imitated something very, very special and replicated it. And of course the flip side of that is also true, that if a child doesn't have that happen to them, then it will be harder for them to do it. If something bad happens to the child, or it experiences or witnesses, uh, violence or unkindness or things like that, then the child will also demonstrate that in their lives. So that got us thinking. And I am, I promise you, I am going to come to John's Gospel. But, but the important thing about the gift of Jesus is that this is God's gift to us as humans. And through Jesus, we also become part of God's family. And I say that because I think we can, as Christians, if we haven't got it already, if we're damaged in some way, we can regain or, or achieve a, health, a healthy sense of who we are, a healthy sense of self-concept, of self-esteem, if we know and understand ourselves to be children of God, children of a perfect heavenly father, a perfect heavenly parent, then we can enter into that place where we can feel secure, loved, and we can receive healing in that place too. And so it is. I'll perhaps start with the second reading first. And so it is in that second reading that as Jesus is dying on the cross, and before he utters his last words, he looks at his mother Mary, and he looks at this young disciple, John, possibly the writer of the Gospels, we don't know exactly who John is. He looks at them, and he says to the disciple who loved Jesus the most, look, this is your mother, take care of her. And to his mother, and, you know, when I was younger, I thought, well, it doesn't really matter, you know, she's old. But actually, now that I know that even when I'm 100, I'll still be worrying about my children. <laughs> to his heartbroken mother, he said, look, look take this man, John, he's your, he, he's your son. So he's introducing a sort of sense of adoption, of family, 
as he leaves us. Do you see that? It's, very, it's actually very significant, I think, that God has given Jesus into the world to be with us. But as he leaves us, just before he dies, he models this sense of, a, of adoption, adoptiveness. Okay, back to the beginning then, literally, in the beginning was the word. Now, I all know that you know the Greek for in the beginning was the word, and you will tell me that it is logos, and you are right, and you understand that as meaning word. I'm going to teach you quite a bit of Greek today, or at least I'm going to talk a bit of Greek today. Um, at the end of this service, you know, we should all be voting to stay in the EU because Greece has done a lot for us <laughs> through the Greek. Thank you. I'm never political. Um, so logos means word, but it also means idea, and it has a sense of the logic as well, and logic comes from that same word, okay? So in the beginning was, if you if you sub substitute logic for the word, you get in the beginning was logic. If you like, in the beginning there was a mind. I noticed when Geraldine read the passage, the word was like this little thing, but a huge idea. So we've got this sense of a set of brains, if you like, behind the whole of creation, that before anything came into existence, there was a plan. That will appeal to some of you hugely. <laughs> so there was this intelligence behind creation. In the beginning, that was what was there before the world was created, before the world was, uh, had sort of started. And in the book of Genesis, we have that chaos, but we have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, don't we? Already there, already present. And so, the Word, who, who is also Jesus, is with God from the very beginning, and therefore we understand from this that Jesus and God are the same. And this is the beginning of something which will take me three hours to unpack, and I'm not going to, but there's lots of books about it, okay? So they, they, they're there together, part of the Trinity, this brilliant plan, this brilliant mind for the future, okay? And in this amazing way, um, the Word, in verse 14, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So this little Word, this brilliant logic, this brilliant mind, this divinity, became flesh, and the Greek for flesh I'm going to tell you some Greek, is sarx, S-A-R-X, okay, from whence we get our word sarcophagus, okay, now it doesn't just mean flesh, it doesn't just mean this, it means bones as well, but it also means in Greek a full human being, it means body, mind and soul, body, mind and spirit, it means all of that, everything that it is to be human, that's what sarx means, Okay, so this little word, this great mindfulness of God, this understanding, this brilliance becomes a human being in the fullest sense. And thus we have what we call the incarnation, that God becomes human, fully human. There is no other religion where this is the case. There are religions where God comes down and visits in a kind of avatar type way or make 
look over the world and see things happening, perhaps intervene in different ways. But there is no other religion where God becomes fully human and enters into the fullness of what that means, including death on a cross, including suffering, in other words, including pain, heartache, all of those things, as well as joy, as well as gladness, everything. There is no other religion that does that. This word became flesh as a baby, which means that that baby was, you know, babies are not perfect. They mess their nappies at one end, they throw up at the other, they cry through the night. We are grateful to parents who have taken their children out of the service, are we not? Because they are quite difficult. They run their own ways, they're discovering, they're finding out for themselves <coughs> what's going on in the world. And Jesus was like that, with us, human. A full human being who grew up, learnt, from his parents, learned at the synagogue, um, worked with his friends, preached and died, fully human. This is the gift that God has given to us. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, I'm going to tell you the Greek for dwelling now. <laughs> it's not like one of my normal sermons, this. And it is skinny, Okay, possibly the word skin comes from there, possibly, but it actually means tent, tabernacle, or, and, and the tabernacle is the big tent, the huge tent where they kept the Holy of Holies, the Ten Commandments and the Ark of the Covenant, or it can just mean a tent where people um, lived out in the desert, and later, it became the place where actors changed, hence scene, scenery. Ah, you see. Anyway, it could be one, either of these two words. This word became flesh, fully human, made his dwelling, pitched his tent, pitched the tabernacle amongst us. So some people go for tabernacle, some theologians go for tent. And I think there's nothing wrong with a bit of ambiguity. There is nothing wrong with not knowing. We are capable, are we not? Um, unlike in the time of the Book of Common Prayer when you, know, you lived and died over whether you thought one way or the other, um, we can deal with both. And both actually probably give us a fuller sense of what this means. So the tabernacle was a huge, beautiful tent with several layers. The um, inside was gold and embroidered. At one end there were thick, heavy curtains, and through there only the priests were allowed, and they kept their lamps burning all the time. <coughs> in there was the Ark of the Covenant, in which was kept the stones that Moses had brought down the, the mountain that had the Ten Commandments written on, upon them. That's what was kept there. <coughs> Excuse me. And that was, that was, that place behind those curtains was called the Holy of Holies. Now, I'm not saying this is the case, but it was a very big building. It could have been as high as this, possibly a bit higher, um, with curtains across one end, beautiful um, embroidered cloth with gold, gold in it. Um, there was a wooden frame, and then on the outside of that was... Um, the skin 
of rams. Now that's significant for the Jews because the ram was always seen as the um, animal of sacrifice because it was the ram that, forgotten his name, it's gone right out of my head, took up the mountain to sacrifice. Abraham took up his son up the mountain to sacrifice. And so this animal was seen as the animal of sacrifice and substitution. So these ramskins went over the outside of the tent and they were painted red to signify the blood of the sacrifice. Okay, so you can see why some people would want to translate that and made his dwelling among us as tabernacled amongst us because there is a sense of sacrifice and substitution in what Jesus did. But... The other possibility is just that he pitched his tent among us, so came to live in our community with us. And that also works, doesn't it? That sense of community, of being in it with me. I live in a, um, a little terraced street, so the walls are all joined together, okay? And there is a sense of community there. In the times of people pitching their tent, there must have been, must there not, a sense of community of going from one tent to the other. I don't know how you knock on the door of a tent, but there must have been systems there to do that. And I'm sure some of you, looking at Brian in particular, visited Bedouin tents, probably, yes, <laughs> and know what that's like. But there is a real sense of sharing. So pitching a tent in amongst us, with us, means participating in every aspect of the daily life. I imagine with tent, tent, tent next to tent, there's not a lot in the way of privacy. Both of those, I think, work, and there's no reason why they can't work together. So we ask ourselves, where do we find, um, where do we find, when we're looking for God, where do we find God? And the answer in this verse, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, is that we find God living with us. And we know that wherever two or three people are gathered together, Jesus, through his spirit, is with us. So we can find God in our community, within our church, not in the, the commandments themselves, if we think of tabernacle, not in the in the law, but in us working together as community, in each other, that's where we see God. And it says that we have seen his glory, I notice Geraldine going, going like this, and glory has a sense of shining and light as well. So if you imagine a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset, or if you saw the rainbow last week in Bath, amazing rainbow, that has a sense of shining of God's glory. And this is what happened when Jesus came to us. We saw, we glimpsed a little bit of the glory of God. The glory that was hidden away, if you remember in the Old Testament, even Moses had to cover his face. Who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace. Karas, okay, grace, full of grace and truth. And this full, full of grace, 
And I know we all know what grace is. Grace is this freely given gift that we didn't ask for and do not merit. Full of that and full of truth. Truth in the sense of real, not in an illusion, real. And the full part, there are various places where this word is used, um, is where something is completely coming over the top. So a cup isn't full until it's slopping over the edge. My cup runneth over. It's not full till you get to that point. If you put some oranges in a bowl, it's not full until you can't get any more oranges in and they fall out. Okay? If you fill up something with anything, it's not full till it's overflowing. It's used of uh, ships that are, that are overladen, like that ship that I just I saw on the television last night, actually. What was that called? Harmony or something. Harmony of the Sea. Have you seen that? It takes 7,000 people. That is, I think, overflowing myself. <laughs> I hope it doesn't overflow as such. But anyway, very, very full. It's also used of a garden that's got too many weeds in it, overflowing with weeds. Some of you will have a little part of your, your garden where you know what that means. Yes. So there's so much, this is what Jesus brings to us, so much of this, grace and truth, all there. And he comes to us as God's only begotten son. And I think I'm going to give you my last word, which is monogenesis, only begotten. And it has the word genesis in it from which we get genetics. And it's as though Jesus is the only one who is genetically the same as God, okay? A replica, the same chromosomes, if you like, okay? That is who Jesus is when he comes to us. The rest of us are adopted. We're adopted in. We don't have the same genes. We're fallen creatures. We get things wrong. We mess up. But in this gift from God to us, through Jesus, we receive overflowing love, grace, and truth. And if we reach out and accept that, then we are adopted as God's children. How fabulous is that? Which makes us, of course, into prince and princesses, if you're into that kind of thing which you may not be. <laughs> it's amazing. And if we can hold that thought and understand that that is who loves us, that is who cares for us, we can also receive healing and we can restore the places in our lives where perhaps some of these things have been missing and it's left us doubting ourselves or getting over-anxious, or over-worrying, or getting overly cross with others, overreacting to situations. If we can, in our prayers, stand back and let God heal us through this overflowing of grace, truth, and love. It's amazing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that out of your huge generosity and love for us out of your fullness we have all received grace grace overflowing grace and truth we pray lord that we could really breathe that in 
take it into ourselves and become closer to you, more loving, kinder, able to reflect your glory in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.